podcast has bad words. <laughs> Hello, simpletons. You're listening to the Minimalist Private Podcast. Today, we're going to talk about some things to avoid or things you may want to avoid, some boundaries in our lives. We got a bunch of surprise questions as well. Ryan, should we start with our boundaries, 25 boundaries? Mm. That one's pretty long. How about we, we we talked a bit about voting last time. I thought maybe we could. Oh, yeah, you said you had some more questions come up. Yeah, I'm just, I guess the main question I had for myself is why should one vote? Mm. Mm. Oh, are you asking me why should one vote? Yeah, because I don't have an answer to that. And we talked about this mm. last week. I'm not saying that you shouldn't vote. I'm just trying to find a compelling reason for voting at this point. Yeah. Hmm. If it well, literally I, doesn't change the outcome, mm-hmm. and maybe let me let me add some additional framing because I know someone like you or me, mm-hmm. we spend about six or seven hours researching everything that we vote for, mm-hmm. and this issue and that issue and this judge, yes. and yeah. we're like googling articles. It's amazing how some candidates you can't find. They don't even have a website. Or if they do, it's so oh. janky. If I can't find their website, it's an automatic like, okay, you're not responsible enough to be in office. You, <laughs> Yes. <laughs> right. Yeah, but, but then the other side of it is like, if it's so polished and you have this whole machine behind you, mm-hmm. it makes me a little skeptical. Like, oh, it looks like you have a plug-and-play political website. How come all really, quote, good-looking webs- political websites... <clears throat> <coughs> oh, man. <laughs> <laughs> the politicians have got me. <laughs> oh, <no. clears throat> I guess you should vote. <laughs> Take it back. Um, no, I, I'm just thinking about this in a way because I spend a mm. disproportionate amount of time. I got the sample ballot in the mail recently because of the recall elections going on. And, and there's like 40 candidates to look at and yeah. all of these other th- And I'm like, is this... Maybe here's the better question. Why should one vote? Because is this the best use of my six hours? Yeah. Um, why? So this, this conversation is important to you because it takes six hours of your time to vote. Yes, but let's say it took six minutes. I, I think mm-hmm. this, I'd still have the same question. It would just be less... Um, I'd be less affected by it, right? Yeah. Um. Yeah, man. I mean, I, I still would posit that question. Like, why why is this particular issue or this topic, like, obviously, you've been ruminating a little bit on it, mm-hmm. and you've come to the conclusion of why should I vote at all? Why, why is this conversation even, why is it important for you to have this conversation? Well, because I, I think that we, that I, certainly, but I think broadly, we have been conditioned that you should vote. Mm, well, there are no shoulds. No, no, I, I agree with that, obviously. Mm-hmm. But but a lot of people believe that it is not just their right to vote, which is, we could talk about that and what does that even mean, mm-hmm. but it is their duty to vote. Mm. And my question about this is, like, can I do something for the greater good with those six hours that is more useful, more influential, more impactful, more helpful Mm. than my vote. Because my vote essentially doesn't matter Mm. individually. Sure. 
any election that I've ever participated in, my vote did not change the outcome. Mm. And don't get me wrong. There's some votes when I was 18. It was like, all right, just get the ballot and check, check, check. Oh, I like this name. Check, check, check. Yeah. And it seems to me that that kind of voting does more damage than, than uh, help, mm. right? Because mm-hmm. it's like, oh, it's, I'm just canceling other people's votes because, oh, I like uh, Sarah Smith's name. That's a great name. What a, I like the... Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah, the alliteration in her name, so <laughs> yeah. I'm going to pick her, right? Yeah. Or worse, we go and say, oh, he's on my team. Mm. She's not on my team. Mm. She's on my team. And so I'm now I'm voting for teams. Yeah, and I think that's why you, send, you spend six hours picking right. because it's not like a us versus them, our tribe versus their tribe. Yeah. And, and you, I, sp- you spend that yeah. time too, right? Sure. I mean, oh, yeah, absolutely. Oh, man, I don't... I mean... uh there are people out there who feel like voting is their duty. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to talk them out of that. No, I'm, I'm not trying to. I'm saying for right, me. Right, right, yeah. For, uh, for you to vote personally. I mean, you do whatever you want, man, and I support you. <laughs> right, right. No, I, I know you do, and I appreciate that. Um, I, I'm just trying to understand. It doesn't seem to me. I'm, maybe here's the question I'm asking. Am I missing something here? Because to me, the truth is, those six hours can be better spent doing just about anything. Imagine if I spent two hours with Danny, two hours with Mallory, two mm-hmm. hours with Emma, just mm-hmm. mentoring them, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. I, I think that doing that's great, going to serve the greater good much more than spending six hours going through the down ballot candidates mm-hmm. or whatever. Yeah. I, I mean, it all depends. It just It's a personal preference thing. I mean, when it comes to my individual vote, I spend the six hours because... Man, um, I'm trying to use words that that aren't going to pigeonhole me. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'll get what you're saying though. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Maybe you can just get the 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 spirit of what I'm saying. Yes. Um, it is a it's a it's a privilege to live in a country where we don't have to care about voting. Yeah. And you know, we we had this talk last time about. You know, we're born free, we're born happy, we're born all this, but well, the constructs that we're born into really, really mess with us. Mm-hmm. So we were born into a construct that um, is a lot better than the alternative constructs. And for me, it's just a matter of um, uh, just exercising exercising the right, which we can have a conversation about. But the other piece of it for me too is I was discouraged from voting. Yeah, you know, I was actively told not to vote. Well, that's the doesn't other, matter who you vote for. You're voting for the devil, and that's the other. That's the sides argument. And I don't have a side. Of the, I'm not saying mm. it's right to vote. It's wrong to vote, right, or, or vice versa. Yeah. Uh, what I'm trying to understand for me personally is: Am I missing something? Because it feels to me as though I'm taking six hours that. I'm not just simply wasting six hours. Mm-hmm. I'm not saying it's a waste. I don't think it's a waste. Mm-hmm. I want to be clear about that. Me spending six hours to vote is not a complete waste. It does a few things. One is it does allow me to vote, to participate in the process. It also informs me as to what's going on. In fact, I think that's probably the better Ooh. argument there is it informs me as to what's going on locally. Yeah. Uh, all, all the propositions, it's unbelievable once you start getting it into them. Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, that was one of the biggest lessons I took away from when I first started like spending all these hours is there's, you know, there's Proposition 22, the Care for Animals Act. Mm-hmm. And then you look at it, and it's the exact opposite. It's like, 
shrinking the cages and and uh, allowing more animals per per pen or whatever it is it's marketing right exactly and uh yeah so so yeah maybe that is the better argument because it helps me stay more informed with what's going on especially locally and there are local elections that have absolutely come within you know less than single digit votes for sure i i believe that i, I i'm just saying that i don't think there's any local election i've ever participated in where my vote made yeah. the decision yeah. there are a lot of other things that i've participated in that my time influences the outcome much more. I mean, the time that we spent in this studio was many, many hours you know, with all of the artwork and everything that we were doing to, to with the lighting and everything else that's, that's going on in this new studio space. And it feels to me at the end of that, that that was time well spent. Yeah. And I, 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 maybe, oh, here's something else, Ryan. Hmm. Sometimes I feel like I just spent six hours on that. And it doesn't feel like time well spent to me. Mm. Well, that's what it comes down to. It's a personal preference thing. Because right. you can look at these gorgeous paintings. Yes. How much money, you know, did these cost? Um, we could have, like, provided food over in Africa for someone for a year sure. on, on the money we spent on this. You know, whatever. Right. I, yeah, I don't know the total on it. But you see what I'm saying? It's all, it's all preference. Like, yeah, do you feel like mm -hmm. it's time well spent? The one thing I will say is, you know, for me, I used to... I don't want to talk about politics a lot when I didn't vote mm. and like looking back, it, I just kind of felt like a hypocrite in a way. Mm -hmm. Like how can I even care about anything political if I don't even participate in the system? So there's also that aspect of it where I would love to just step away from it and say mm -hmm. it doesn't matter, but there are certain things that matter to me. Sure. Certain attachments I have certain uh. outcomes, certain attachment to outcomes that I have. Sure. Um, but yeah, it's it does come down to a preference thing. So uh, I would encourage anyone to vote. Like, hey, you've got you've got the opportunity to do that. Mm -hmm. um, if Joe Schmo on the street is like, yeah, but I don't want to waste that time. Mm -hmm. I'm gonna go whatever insert philanthropic thing there. Um, I'm gonna do that for six hours rather than spend time voting. Then I would be like, all right, cool. Yeah, have a good time. Yeah, and and maybe what they're saying there is, hey, some people might just say, hey, look. Not for me. I think it's stupid, whatever. That's not what I'm saying here. Although if that's what you say, fine. I don't care. Uh, I'm just asking this question. Maybe we, we just posit this to the patrons so we can move yeah, on here. Yeah. If you have any additional insights, is this the best use of six hours or four hours? Or maybe you attenuate it to two hours even. I, it's, I always spend an, a disproportionate amount of time. Mm. And could I better spend those two hours to serve the greater good, or even to serve the political process in a different way. Might yeah, those those two hours be so much more useful if I volunteered for some organization? Now, this isn't an either-or thing, but it is, it is right. the sense that, well, there's only 168 hours in a week, and I need to sleep, and I have all these other things to do, so... I do have a limited resource here and it is yeah, my time hundred percent and how I choose to spend that resource. Is that the best use of this resource? I'd love to hear your thoughts in the comments. Yeah. I would love to hear what the patrons have to say. And here's the beautiful thing. All their answers are correct. <laughs> <laughs> there is no right and wrong here. Prove Ryan wrong here. Yeah, that's <laughs> <laughs> all right. I wanted to, uh, we talked about this. We, we alluded to this last week. So I've got this uh, document here with some boundaries and I have like 25 different boundaries that I've just been 
thinking about my own life, originally they were proscriptions, meaning things that I um, say no to. And so I'm just going to go through a few of these. Ryan, you speak up when you want to cool. expand on one of them. Right. And, and then, yeah, I'll what give is- you the signal. <laughs> Perfect. And then uh, remind me, I want to talk to, since we're talking about recluttering, I'm going to write this down in my notes here. I want to talk to Danny and Mallory and Emma. Uh, Emma, we'll start with you in a moment. Well, once we get through this, I want to talk to you about you know, this move that you're going through and you're recluttering your new spaces as well. And any lessons you might be learning from that that people could take away. Yeah. But these are, so here's what I wrote down. And we shared this with the team, 17 different boundaries for our team to make sure we're just all on the same page here. And when I say they aren't proscriptions, they're simply things that we avoid. Sometimes they become unavoidable. And so here's what I wrote. Because real freedom involves self-restraint. We want to steer clear of certain behaviors that disrupt our peace and our ability to contribute beyond ourselves. When applied without dogma, certain boundaries actually increase our tranquility and improve our creations. Together, let's avoid, and I have 17 things here, and then I have another handful of other things that I avoid personally, but didn't know whether or not they'd be appropriate for the team, but they they work well for me. And so as a team, these are the 17 things. Number one is shoulds. I feel like you and I have kind of exhausted that. Yeah, uh, you can go back to last week's minimal episode, or the maximal is called shooting all over ourselves. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So you can go back to that. Uh, number two is lies. Yeah, there's a whole chapter in Love People Use Things about the truth, and so I think this one is pretty cut and dry. Lies, even white lies, are really harmful. Yeah, they don't just harm other people; they harm our relationship with people, and they harm us. Yeah. They're a type of toxicity in a way. Mm. And so avoiding the lies is really a way to say, pursue the truth. Mm-hmm. Number three, complaints. Mm, that's a big one for me. Me too, man. I, um, I'll even bring up an example from yesterday. I wanted to bring it up on the minimal episode. It didn't come up. We, we meandered uh, a bit. And um, I read that passage from Anthony DeMello about upset. And he has this one line in there that I'll reread just the line. Nothing in reality, nothing in life, nothing in the world upsets you. All upset exists in you, mm. not in reality. Mm. Now, you and I know that to be true. Yeah. But of course, what do we say? Oh, that thing pissed me off. Yeah. She pissed me off. He pissed me off. How could they do this to me? Yeah. Man, my biggest is uh, it's traffic. It's, it's crazy how like the road rage. I feel like the older I get, the less patience i have when it comes to like other people's driving yes but i just have to like constantly remind myself well well, i just start telling myself stories like oh well that person's mother just fell and they are stranded and they're on their way to go rescue their mother (laughs) like Mm. i'll just you know start making up random stuff because it helps me get through it but wouldn't it be cool to get to the point where you just like you get the anger that arises within you and then you just like kind of find a mechanism to just kind of let it go. I mean, I'm really close to this recently. Hmm. The and uh, so the example I had yesterday is well, let's use I'll, I'll use my example, but the traffic one is a great example because someone cuts you off, and now they have done something to you, right? In some way, they, they did do something to you. They have put themselves ahead of me, right? 
Right. And maybe they almost caused you to get into an accident, right? right. And, and, and or maybe even they got, got, you got, you got into an accident. Let's say that they just cut you off, right? Mm -hmm. And now you're punishing yourself for their misbehavior. Mm. That's what being upset is. Being upset is punishing yourself for someone else's misbehavior. Yeah. And what do we do then? We complain about it. And so that's the third thing to avoid here. The third boundary is, is, is complaints. I, this happened to me yesterday. Bex and I, so every other week I take Wednesday off and Bex and I just spend the day together without phones and, and just sort of hang out. We went to the beach for a little while yesterday and, um, I was there and I was putting a little bit of sunscreen on my face and I reached down to move my clothes out of the way and I realized I didn't realize there was still some sunscreen on my hands so I picked up my black sweatshirt <laughs> and just got a smudge of yeah uh, sunscreen on yeah. and of course like I get upset immediately yeah and then I hear oh I, I hear in my head that this didn't make you upset. You're making yourself upset. Mm -hmm. And now I'm punishing myself for something that has happened in the past. Mm. And, yeah. and all of a sudden, that awareness, it just dropped. The upset mm. dropped. And this has been happening more and more to me. There's this awareness that when I, when I become fully, when I have a realization, I think Anthony DeMello would call it a sensitivity Mm -hmm. to the world it's not being controlled by my emotions it arises yeah there's all this old um buddhist parable that you know, the student went to the master and said can you tell me about enlightenment and he goes yeah i'll tell you about enlightenment." He goes, what happens when you're enlightened he goes well before enlightenment this is what the master saying before enlightenment mm -hmm. i used to get depressed after enlightenment I get depressed. <laughs> and it, this, the beautiful thing about that parable is like the difference is how we react to what arises within us. Yeah. Dude, I had, so I was on an airplane yesterday and uh, coming back from upstate New York. And, uh, you know, like as soon as the, you know, plane lands, the seatbelt sign goes off and like you just hear like a wave of click, 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 right? Yes. Like something that really, and I'm, I'm, I'm bringing this up because I really would like some advice on how to like process this. So something that really bothers me is when people from the back of the plane, they start to, they just like try to get, you know, as far as they can before people start getting out of their seats. So for me, I, I take it as like, like, hey, there's a pro, we're all trying to get out of here. Right. No one is not in a hurry to get off this plane. There's a, there's a process. It's kind of like with traffic when you zipper in. Like it's, it makes traffic go so much more smooth, but instead a lot of the times we're like, you know, fighting to get in and out. Actually, LA is pretty good for the zippering thing, but anyway. So, uh, so yeah, th this, this, um, woman comes up and she's like standing in between, you know, she's standing in the aisle between me and, uh, the, the next person that's over across from me. Mm -hmm. And like, there's this elderly woman who she like needed help with her bag and stuff. And I told her I would help her and we got to like catch her, you know, catch our, uh, uh, transfer yada 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 so I, I just like i just get up i'm like okay you can stand there but i also have to move around too mm -hmm. and, and so she's blocking your way yeah so uh so i kind of like you know i got broad shoulders like you know i kind of wedged myself in there and she's like excuse you and i'm like oh you're excused <sighs> <laughs> and she didn't say anything and then I started taking out bags, and then she said something again, like, I don't know what the problem is with, uh, with, with the word excuse, excuse me. I don't know what, that pro what the problem is. 
And I was just like, I'm trying to get my things just and get off the plane, just like you are. Uh, and I just kind of left it at that. Yeah. But dude, it took me, it took me an hour to like, let go of like me calling this woman, all these nasty names and telling myself all these stories. And I was like talking to Mariah. I'm like, I don't know why I let this emotion like take over me Yeah. when, when it, when it, I don't know when it happens. So let's talk about it. So how would you react to that situation? I'd react the same way. And, and, and so, um, one of the things I have here at the bottom of this list is this is not one of the 17, but I, I, wrote, I wrote down, this is one of the things that I avoid is anger turning into rage mm. because anger is going to arise Yeah, because I feel like I've been mistreated. There's some injustice in the world, right? right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And there's a sense of injustice comes from what? A strong sense of right and wrong. Yeah. And as soon as I began realizing a year ago that almost a year ago now that right and wrong are also constructs and situational and the, the realizing like, Oh, I, I, this is about me needing things to be right. Mm. And yeah. And, and so why does it actually upset you is the question that i have i know why it would upset me and it's probably the same reason yeah there's there's like a there's like a disrespect thing going on i will say it did not turn into rage my anger i was able to like you know you just got like the waves and i was just like dude Mm -hmm. you're really letting this woman like ruin your day that's right like there's no reason like she she didn't see it your way uh you forced i i forced my way on her uh if I was her, I would have said the same exact thing. Like, you know, now I'm encroaching on her mm-hmm. because I felt like she was encroaching on me. But you know what? It, like, even with traffic, I think because I really go out of my way as much as I can to, like, put other people, um, to consider other people. Not to, like, necessarily go out of my way to put people first before me, but I'll at least, like, consider the other person's point of view and... I think because I really go out of my way to do that. And I see people who like, they just take no, there's no effort whatsoever for them to be considerate towards yeah. other people. Like that's, that's when I really get ticked off with traffic, with that thing on the airplane. It's because I'm like, dude, I go, <laughs> the only way this world's going to be like, it's just as messed up as it is. The only way it's going to like function properly is if we all start to consider each other's perspectives. Let's just start there. You don't have to, have my preferences. Yes. But let's just look at it through each other's eyes. So the story you're telling yourself is I will be, and I'm paraphrasing here yeah, yeah. for brevity. I will be happy as soon as everyone is considerate. Yeah, and anytime, yeah. anytime someone is inconsiderate, mm. then I am not allowed to be happy. Yeah. Yeah. And that, that's essentially the story we tell ourselves. Mm. Now it's manifested a bunch of different ways. The bickering between husband and wife, right? That's the same thing. Yeah. You didn't consider me. Yeah. That's the only reason that's a problem is because I need you to be considerate. Yeah. Uh, there's this great uh, parable of a guy who every morning goes to buy the paper from the vendor closest to his house. Mm. And um, the vendor is rude to him every single morning. Mm. And he's talking to his coworker about it. And she's like, well, why do you go to him if he's rude? He's just not nice. Why don't you, there's a, another vendor three blocks away. Mm-hmm. He goes, why, why am I going to let a rude person dictate where I buy my newspaper? Mm. Mm. Yeah, that's good. Yeah. 
So I, I think that one way that it manifests, so rage is maybe the terminus of complaining in a way. Complaining is like a light rage quite often. <laughs> you know, a very, very light, subtle rage. Yeah, complaining feeds the anger, which helps it turn into rage. That's right. Yeah. And so the... Well, we'll get to blame in a second, but I think these can be related. We often are complaining, but also blaming someone else or blaming ourselves. Like with my shirt, when I got the suntan lotion on it, right? Yeah. Or whatever it is, the right. sunscreen rather. Well, those are the people we beat up the most. Yes. <laughs> ourselves. Yes. Yeah. And so we we place blame on ourselves or we're placing blame on someone else. And then we voice that out loud. We're complaining about it. It's perpetuating the cycle. So what'd you do when you, uh, the anger rose within you? Yeah. And then I heard, I, I, I heard the Anthony DeMello. Line. Yeah. Okay. Hey, you are punishing yourself for a, yeah, for something that's happened in the past. Mm. This up, upset does not exist in the real world. Yeah. And as soon as I was like, oh yeah, I'm not actually upset. Mm. This is, it was honestly the best day I've had in three years with the health stuff and, and everything awesome. else. So it was a phenomenal day, but I was still allowing myself for whatever brief moment to be upset. Yeah. And if you get upset every day, your life's a mess. That's, I agree with that 100%. And yet all of our lives seem to be a mess. So there are a few savants of living. Mm. There are the Anthony DeMellos of the world, the Jay Krishnamurtis, the, the, the savants of living. Mm. But most of us, we've, Buttoned it all up, right? Remember us back in the corporate world? We had it all ostensibly. The cars, the houses, the paychecks. I was going to say the money, but we didn't have any money. We were right. freaking broke. <laughs> right. We had the look of money yeah, um, because we had all the Allen Edmund shoes and the um, suits and the 70 Brooks Brothers shirts or whatever, mm -hmm. right? And nothing wrong with those things, but we were still upset. In fact, we were more upset than ever. Everyone was creating all of this injustice in our lives. And we had to be right. We had to be, uh, other, in order for us to be right, other people have to be wrong. Mm -hmm. The other reason we complain is it builds camaraderie with others. But can yeah. you think of the worst way to build camaraderie? Right, by we, hating on the same thing. Yes. Yeah. Hey, we're, we're both miserable. Let's be miserable together. Yeah. It's awful. Yeah. Dude, I, I love the Buddha quote, you know, life is suffering. Um. Because for me, and I got to the next time I get angry, I'm going to remind myself of that quote and see if it does anything for me. But it's almost like suffering is guaranteed; like there's no way to avoid it. Mm. And yes, we want to um, steer away from it, you know, as much as possible if we can. But but it's just bound to happen. So for me, like when I hear that quote, it's it's not. I don't know. It's just a relief because it's like, oh, yeah, like, of course I feel upset right now. This is life. Mm. Like, these emotions, they come along. And it's not about can you avoid the suffering? The question is, is how can you sit with that suffering? How can you, how can you manage that and not let it become something bigger than it needs to be? Yeah. Um, but if I ever figure out a way to avoid it, I'll let you and all our patrons know. You'll notice that that's not one of the things to avoid on here. It's not the, suffering is not one of the things on the list. Avoid suffering. Mm. Irony of that: if these things are avoided, the amount of suffering in your life goes down substantially. Yeah. Even if the amount of pain doesn't go down, mm. that's one thing I've learned, especially over the last three years, with some physical pain, um, with you know our whole trip to Brazil that caused this parasitic infection in me and. 
and then all of these sort of autoimmune conditions and things that sprung up from that and extreme pain but there are people who have extreme pain in their lives but don't have the same kind of suffering you and I might have. And so the question is, is it possible to avoid suffering? Yes, but it's not something you do. You can't do something to avoid suffering. These things, when we are aware of them, Mm -hmm. when we see them for what they are, Mm -hmm. yesterday I avoided suffering not by avoiding suffering, but by understanding that the upset was happening in me. Yeah. And no one else could cause this in me. The past didn't do this to me. I'm doing this to me right now. Mm-hmm. And I can simply drop it and move on. Or I can do what? So when Buddha says that life is suffering, mm-hmm. one other translation for that is life or, or that. Uh, or clinging is suffering. Oh, yeah. Yeah, Yeah. and so I was clinging to the upset for a moment, only Mm. for a moment, until I realized, like, this is not serving me. Yeah. Fourth thing on here is judgment. Judgment is but a mirror, right? And it reflects the insecurities of whoever's doing the judging. Dude, I can't think of one time, not once, where I've, like, projected my own internal judgment that I've going on about a person or a situation where... It actually did any good. Yes. Like not one not, not one situation. That's right. Yeah. And quite often what we're doing, and this is number 14 on the list, I'll jump ahead a bit, but we're questioning other people's intentions. Mm, and yeah. by questioning someone else's attentions, intentions, what we're doing is we're saying, I know what's going on in your interior. But of course, I can never know. Even if you tell me what your intentions are, mm-hmm. I can never know for sure and so it doesn't serve me in any way to question those intentions. Yeah, questioning intentions just, it just stilts whatever is happening in the moment. You are, uh, you're taking yourself out of what's there in front of you and putting yourself in like a hypothetical world. That's right. Basically, yeah. Number five on the list is gossip. So this is something that we got from Dave Ramsey. The Gossiping is saying something behind someone's back that you would not say in front of them. Yeah. So that could be a lie or it could be a truth as well, Mm. but you're saying it in a way that is harmful to them Mm -hmm. and they're not even there to defend themselves. Yeah. And so what I learned from Ramsey when we were down there is they have a a no gossip policy. I think it's like a one strike thing. Like Mm -hmm. you'll get one warning, but then they'll I'll let you go. Yeah. If you're gossiping about your coworkers, you're creating what? A toxic work environment. Yeah. And it doesn't mean that if there's an issue, you can't bring it up. In fact, do bring it up. Right. The way to bring it up is not to bring it up behind someone's back and talk uh, about that person. Yeah. That's the, that creates more tension, more anxiety for you, for other people. And it just creates a negative work environment for everyone. Dude, it's unbelievable how the atmosphere at Ramsey's is just like, it's almost too good to be true. It's loving. It is. It is loving. It seems like it, at first it's startling because it kind of seems like Pleasantville. Mm. But, you know, you do, do you know that movie? Yes. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, it's very genuine, but it's because of these boundaries that he has set up. Right. Um, that, yeah, it's, it is a, it's a very loving environment. I saw a critical article that was written about them. Someone sent it to us because how could dare you have Dave Ramsey in your film or whatever. 
and it was because they've been voted the best place to work year after year after year. Like one, you know, they make all those lists. Yeah. And um, apparently, after doing some investigation, it was like you have to vote for this place to be the best place to work, or you're fired. Like was the thing you got, and that's not actually what it was, but it that that's the way they framed it. But it was like, hey, if you don't think this is the best place to work, then this probably isn't the best place for you to work. Right. Yeah. It, isn't that actually? Don't wouldn't if you're going to work somewhere, wouldn't you want to create the best environment possible? Right. Like I, we work with Mallory and and Emma and Danny and Jordan and Sean. I, yeah. I never say they work for us; we work together. Right. But like, I want it to be the best environment for them. And if they think it sucks here, mm-hmm. then okay, I would find a place that doesn't suck to you. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's it's. Uh, <laughs> It reminds me of when I was managing retail stores and I was doing these one-on-ones and with an employee who hated my guts, man. This, he just like, he hated me probably because I was so toothsome. <laughs> <laughs> he just hated my guts, but I sat him down and I'm like, Hey man, like, you know, I know, I know this is just a job to you. This is the guy I'm thinking of big guy. No, okay, no, no. Um, small guy. <laughs> it was a small guy's friend. Okay. Yeah. I don't think you were, you'll remember. It wasn't the small guy's brother? No. Okay. No, no, no. Um, so, I mean, he was one of those, but and it doesn't matter. Um, so, I sat him down and I'm like, look, I know this is just a job to you. Like, I know that you don't come into this store feeling great about the, the role that you have, but like, what is it? Like, what can I do to help or what can happen in your life to really you know, just boost your, your, your contentment, whatever it is. And he was like, man, honestly, he's like, I just want to be like a landlord. I just want to, I just want to buy some properties and like fix them up. And, and I'm, I'm like, what the hell are you doing here then, man? Yeah. Like, that's a pretty, it's a pretty low bar. Like if, if you, yeah, I've been saving up some money and blah, 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 blah. My wife's on board. Did he quit? Like, six weeks later the problem is but be- it was awesome i felt so good to like give him the little bump to be like yeah dude you know what yeah as much as i really enjoy you working for me mm-hmm. and he was a great worker um uh, uh it was more important for me to him like actually enjoy what he was doing yeah you know? yeah and and i find that the the irony of that is if you can help people do whatever they want to do you'll get the best out of them for that period of time right and, and, because and, you're approaching it in a loving way yeah well it swayed his it swayed his hate towards me. Uh, he didn't. He hated me just a little bit less because <laughs> he came up to me like a day or two later. He's like, "Hey, man, I thanks for that one on one the other day." He's like, "I really appreciate the encouragement." He was like, "I really," you know, he thought he was being like a smart ass or something, saying, you know, like he he didn't realize that I would actually get behind right what he wanted to do and yeah right. yeah. Well, next one on the list here, number six is blame. Uh, as I mentioned earlier, I think I may have even said this during the minimal episode, to blame someone is a sign of immaturity mm. in a way. Mm-hmm. It, it, all we're really saying here is not taking ownership, not taking responsibility. And, and the thing is, the thing I said to the whole team is, hey, if you need someone to blame, just blame me. Sure. like I'll, I'll take that because ultimately I've, and Ryan has decided to bring you onto the team. So I guess it's our fault, ultimately. <laughs> ultimately, yeah. It, it, it is our fault. And yeah. so... Let's not blame anyone, or if you do need to blame someone, just go ahead and blame us if yeah, that makes you feel better. One, yeah, blame one of us. Same with uh, you, patrons. Blame us. <laughs> it's fine. Anything in your life, by the way. You got too much stuff? Blame yeah, me and Ryan. It's, it's totally fine. Yep. Yeah. And here's the thing. The, the, the blame does what? It abdicates our 
responsibility. Yeah, it is so much, regardless of what your role is, what your job is, even if you're the boss, like taking responsibility is so much more powerful in any situation. Yes. In fact, you know, I, th- I think looking for a way to take responsibility for things that maybe you could pass the blame with. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's it's just, uh, I don't know. It's just more empowering. P- I mean, people are going to respect you more too, especially. I noticed with, this with Jessica. When we, she first started working with us five or six years ago, mm-hmm. she, uh, you know, just like all of us, she would say, oh, yeah, it's not my fault or someone did this or whatever. And now she takes so much responsibility. I'm like, I don't even, like you're taking responsibility for things that clearly have nothing to do with you whatsoever. <laughs> you're like, oh, Twitter went down today. I'm so sorry. I'll make sure it never happens again. I'm like, Jess, it's not your fault that Twitter went down. She's like, yeah, but I could have done something. Nope, nope. It's, and, but she takes so much responsibility, mm-hmm. but it's improved the way that she interacts with the world as well. 100%. By not blaming. And I've seen this beautiful maturity blossom in her as a result. Yeah. I'll run through a few others here. Gloating. Mm. I mean, that's... Unless you're playing ping pong. Right. <laughs> yes, yes. And then it's just Ryan needs to avoid gloating. <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> Uh, harm harming anyone else yeah obviously it looks like ham from back here yeah you want to avoid ham especially (laughs) on the weekends yeah of course avoid harming others that's like i feel like that's like the i almost like this one shouldn't be on here it goes without saying but you know what to hunter gatherers all of this goes without saying and as well so yeah uh, why not have it on there just so we know like hey is what i'm about to do going to harm someone else directly Mm. I can't always figure out the indirect thing is like, well, 17 dominoes later, the butterfly effect. I'm not w- so worried about that, right? Right. You might want to take a consideration, but hey, does this directly harm someone else? If so, let's avoid that. Yeah. Persuasion. Mm. Another way to say that is convincing. Mm-hmm. Another way to say that is coercing. Yeah. And so coercing is not loving someone. But to convince someone, as we talked about last week, we've, we sort of lose the plot when we try to convince someone. Okay. Tardiness, I mean, this is a thing. We, we talked about this as well already, so I won't belabor it. But if there are 10, or if there's six people here mm-hmm. and one person's 10 minutes late, we just waste an hour of people's time. Right. And so when we reframe it that way, we realize, like, oh, I'm not the center of the universe, am I? Yeah. And I just wasted not 10 minutes, I wasted an hour of everyone's time. Time's just a flat circle, man. <laughs> Here's one for you. You're never going to hear in most workplaces, avoid busyness. Mm, because yeah. being busy is not a sign of efficiency or productivity or doing anything meaningful. It is a sign of your hands moving and you getting things done. <laughs> I remember when I was a busboy, uh, they told me, they were like, hey, if you have nothing to do, just do laps. And it was essentially like this, you know, this track around the floor and like the kitchen and stuff and you literally just start walking and doing laps right now eventually because you're doing the laps you'll see something that needs bust Mm -hmm. um but yeah i just remember like you know doing laps for like an hour i'm like what the hell am i doing right and in a very mechanical job like being a i was a bus boy for four years Mm -hmm. you hope that things are going to be busy because you earn more tips that way right Mm -hmm. but anything beyond basic mechanics being busy it's okay Okay, to be focused and to be regularly focused and it, sometimes that apes the form of being 
busy. But what I'm saying is being busy for the sake of being busy, just doing laps and pretending as though that's doing anything sort of misses the point. Yeah. I think the analogy we may have used last week, I don't remember, or maybe I used this with Bex on, on how to love her podcast. It's, um, uh, I, I forget who I heard this from, but like if so, a waiter brings you a menu and you're like, oh, there's a salad on the menu. I want to eat a salad. And you just start eating the menu. Mm-hmm. That's kind of what busyness is. Yeah, you did use that on uh, yeah, last yeah. podcast. Yeah, so yeah, I think the same thing with, with, uh, with busyness. So hustle culture, commitment, all of these other things as well. Yeah, yeah, getting things done. Yes, of course we want to get things done, but that is a byproduct, not of hustling and being busy. It's focusing on that which actually matters to us. Mm. Competition is number 12. Avoid competition. Competition is a mental illness. Number 13, appeals to authority. Just because someone has an MD at the end of their name, we can take them seriously, but I'm not going to outsource all of my own Mm decision-making to someone because of whatever title or degree or diploma they might have. Yeah. It can influence the decision, but let's not outsource our entire decision based on some letters behind someone's name. Yeah. We talked about question and intentions. That's number 14. Number 15 is repeat mistakes. Mm. So as a perfectionist, I know that sometimes I avoid doing anything because I don't want to make any mistakes, <laughs> right? But then we just don't do anything worthwhile. Yeah. However, I found a middle ground. Let's mess up and let's mess up a lot but let's just do it once and then learn from that so we don't make the same mistake over and over and over. Yeah, That's like the definition of insanity, right? But making the same mistake over and over and over. Mm-hmm. We're not turning this thing in on time. We're not putting the video up when we want to. Oh, we forgot to add this uh, bumper or whatever it is. It's like, well, wait a minute. If we do that once, all right, let's learn from that mistake so we don't do it again. Mm-hmm. Last two things here. Expectations. Mm-hmm. Well... Having high standards is one thing. Having that standard and applying it to everyone else is, man, that is going to make you miserable. Having that that expectation of everyone, your expectations moderate your happiness. And finally, number 17, excess. So this is one thing that is, um, I think all of these are, the first 16 are universal truths. The last one is a truth that is a situational truth. Mm. Because what is excess for me could be just enough for you. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And I get into trouble when I prescribe that, well, here's here's what is just right, and therefore it's going to be right for everyone else. Yeah. Well, no. My too much might be not enough for you. Mm. And so excess is highly individual, so it's a situational truth. What is excess to me may not be excess to you. But as a team, us avoiding excess, avoiding too much, that could be too much anything, too much clutter, obviously, yeah. too many obligations, too many commitments, too many meetings. Meetings aren't work, by the way. They're not doing anything meaningful. Right. They're allowing us to sometimes plan to do something meaningful, but let's let's limit those because those can be excess really quickly. There are a few others that I have in my own life, so that's for the team here. Oh, yeah, you said 25. Yeah, so we talked about a few anger slash rage. We talked about that, the ego. Um, now, good luck eliminating the ego. That's not <laughs> going to happen. I'm not, not saying to eliminate the ego or that the ego is a bad thing. I know when I say ego, people hear bad. Right. Or they hear good or whatever, right? What I'm saying is 
when the ego stays in the driver's seat, sometimes mm-hmm. we veer off course. Ooh, tweet that podcast, Sean. Boom. D- would you say, I think ego to a certain extent keeps us alive. Like there's a survival mechanism that ego can serve. I don't know. I'd have to think about that. Yeah. Well, think about it. We'll talk about it next time. Yeah, I, I, I like that train of thought. And I like to, to think about when does it serve us? And when does it not serve us? So maybe that's the question. Is the ego serving me? And if the answer is no, which it's usually no, mm-hmm. because of the way the ego manipulates us, yeah, it's usually no. Yeah. The bragging, the, the whatever it is, uh, boasting. It, the ego is doing the opposite of serving me. And in those cases, I want to avoid that, letting it run the show. Yeah. Here's one. Good luck with this one. Thoughts, opinions, belief. And ultimately, dogma. The way you could sum that up is dogma, I think. Mm. Our thoughts turn in, when when we hold on to thoughts, Mm -hmm. they turn into, well, opinions. Mm -hmm. We hold on to opinions for long enough, they become ingrained beliefs. Mm -hmm. That's when we're clinging to our thoughts. Yeah. Clinging to those opinions, they become beliefs. And on a long enough timeline, those beliefs all amalgamate together to form some sort of dogma Mm. in our lives. And so it starts at the thought level, but good luck on avoiding your thoughts. I I was just thinking that, like, if I could, like, snap my finger and make all my opinions go away, I'm pretty sure I would do that. Oh, without a doubt. Yeah. And the reason I would do that is... Because opinions don't serve me, the truth does serve me. Mm. Now, sometimes my opinions will conform with the truth. Right. But I still don't need the opinion. That's like taking the long way to get there, right? Right. The truth is the truth whether or not I have the opinion about it. Mm -hmm. And the dogma almost certainly blocks the truth because we hold on, we cling. And so maybe it's holding on to our thoughts loosely, that's the reason medita- meditation encourages people to watch their thoughts, right? Yeah. Now, even that is difficult, but clinging to those thoughts, that's when it turns into our opinions and our beliefs and our dogma. And so, yes, if I could snap my fingers and get rid of any belief, of course I would do yeah. that. It makes me think of uh, J.P. Sears when we did that event in Atlanta, and he's like, I want you to take your beliefs and your thoughts, mm-hmm. I want you to believe them and think them, but he hold said, on to them very loosely, something along those lines. said, have your beliefs, but don't believe your beliefs. Oh, yeah, that's what it was. Have your beliefs, but don't believe your beliefs. Yeah. yeah. Now, that's uh, pithy. I don't know that I completely understand it, but uh, <laughs> a couple others here. Self-righteousness is one that I deal with mm. because of this, I think, ingrained, culturally ingrains the sense of right and wrong, injustice, etc. It's just hard knowing that you're better than other people, Josh. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> So we did a whole thing on uh, off-the-rack self-righteousness. You can read that essay. We'll put a link to it in the show notes. Here's two more for you. Success and pleasure-seeking. Success in the cultural sense is failure because it leads to all all kinds of clinging and striving. And Mm. Now, you can redefine success. That's a way to embrace success. Yeah. But culturally defined success tends to make us miserable. <laughs> some of the most successful people are some of the most miserable people. What is the Joe Rogan quote? Uh, all the movie stars and actors are miserable. And you just you have all these Instagram influencers who are in such a hurry to be 
miserable. Yeah. <laughs> basically. Yeah. 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 I, you know, what's fascinating about that is uh, we scramble to be miserable just like other people. Mm. I, I want to be just as good at being miserable as someone else. Right. And by the way, I have been really good at making myself miserable. I'm, mm. a, I'm pretty skilled at misery. <laughs> and Are you challenging me to a misery contest? <laughs> yes. <laughs> here's, uh, here's, here's how to become miserable, by the way. This is the last thing on the list was pleasure-seeking. Mm. Yeah. That, and by the way, it's all pleasure-seeking because it's all misery avoidance. Yes. That's what we're doing through our pleasure-seeking is we are, and it's, it's the imbibing, the gluttony of life. It's seeking things out that we think are going to fulfill us, even though they temporarily satisfy us. It's gorging on the piece of chocolate cake metaphorically in life. Mm. And that creates a lot of misery in us yeah. longer term. Totally. So pleasure-seeking, that's the, uh, the 25 things here. Emma, you just moved into a new apartment. Someone give her a microphone. <laughs> I did. And I saw a picture of it. It's totally empty. Yes. And uh, we were talking this week about recluttering. Uh, do you feel compelled right away to fill it with stuff? What are your thoughts when you first moved in there? Um, I'm kind of viewing it as I'm getting things as I need them. It's kind of like a reverse packing party, oh, yeah. I guess. I dig um, it. I didn't like consciously do this. It's just, <laughs> just <kinda happened. laughs> the situation. Yeah. Um, also too, like I'm keeping in mind finances, but that's not my main driver of this. It's it's genuinely like, okay, well, what, what do I need? And what do I need right now? So, um, and then it's also giving me the time to go out and be more intentional with my purchases. So since I'm not rushing, I can go to a thrift store. And if they don't have it, that's okay. I'll go to another one. And if I can't find it, then I'll go and like purchase it new, et cetera. Right. Yeah. You're identifying what what you need. You know, Bex and I did this. When we moved to Los Angeles four years ago, mm. something like that. Yeah, it's going on four years. Yeah. Four years in September. Wow. And so when we moved to Los Angeles four years ago, we did something we called slow population or slow consumption. We intentionally went without some things, temporarily deprived ourselves of a couch for a while until we found the couch we wanted. And even then it was like, oh, the ordering time for this is 12 weeks or 14 weeks or so. And we just lived without a couch for that period of time. Now, it, we realized that we prefer to have it, but doing without it for a while made me realize a lot of these things I thought I wanted I actually don't want them at all. Mm. And so I don't know if there was anything that you had in Canada that now you're like, yeah, I'm not getting that again. Any examples of something like that? Well, actually, this isn't my first time doing this, I feel like. Yeah. Um, I kind of did this when I moved to Canada because that was the first time I had a home that wasn't furnished. So at that time, I was bringing things in. I have the mentality more where I'm, I'm trying to and maybe this is going to take us totally off course so I can like come okay. pull it back. I do that all the time. <laughs> but <laughs> I often put myself in situations where I make things more difficult than they need to be. Whereas be because I'm, I, I say like maybe frugal or things like that. So I'm trying to allow these things that do add value that are non-essential. I, I wrote down like that from earlier, I think in the minimal episode, I'm allowing myself to have that. And it's not a bad thing if it adds value and I appreciate them. They serve a purpose. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. yeah. I, it's fascinating. Cause I know when I, when Ryan and I went on tour in 2014 for 10 months, we were living together at the time and 
we got back and we owned next to nothing. We were pretty utilitarian in that apartment. We really were. But we got back. I actually noticed like, oh, well, we were on tour. We stayed in a bunch of like Airbnbs where we stayed in people's houses and spare bedrooms and, and occasionally in your Toyota Corolla. Yeah. And you know, what I recognized when I got back is there were some things that I had because I felt like I needed them. Mm. But then there were other things as we like stayed at other people's houses where I'm like, oh, I actually do miss having a couch. That was the big thing for me while we were on tour. Like we stayed on so many people's couches and stuff. Yeah. And it was a space to to gather in a way. And I miss having a, a reading chair. I no longer had that. And so I have a reading chair now. And mm-hmm. uh, we had a dining room table and that was fine. We had some things, but I realized like, oh, there are some things I'd want to repopulate my life with. Mm-hmm. But I don't want to reclutter. In fact, coming home, it's almost like I could trade some of these things out for things that are actually going to serve a purpose. Yeah. Some of the things, I don't know, we were gone for 10 months. You come back and you're like, I didn't even know I owned a toaster. Yeah. I yeah. don't eat bread. Right. Why the hell do I have a toaster? It's a good question. <laughs> Dude, going on the road for 10 months will open your eyes to a lot of things. It's, yeah. And so I think temporarily depriving yourself, moving into a new space. Uh, Dan, if you want to throw the mic over to Daniel, I noticed when you're moving into this this tiny apartment that you're moving into, and it's funny because my reaction was like, oh, that's awesome. And you're like, so many other people are like, oh, that's, uh, is that challenging? I've sent it to a couple, like a video. Yeah. To a couple people, my mom, my dad, some friends. They're like, oh, wow, that's interesting. <laughs> right you know something at least not interesting at least as soon as someone says it's interesting right oh my goodness yeah. yeah and so um with that whole process it's it's very um exciting for me well because you you get to slowly decide what is going to add value to your life and also to to amy's life one of the things that bex and i did was we made this pack that we're not going to bring anything into the home unless we both agree on bringing it into the home. Now, sometimes that means that certain things just don't get brought into the home. Now, we can't ever be punitive with it. Like, oh, you didn't want me to bring in the tie clip holder, and so now you can have an underwear drawer. <laughs> you know, whatever. Like, it, right. as soon as you've lost, as soon as you start being, you know, keeping score. When you're holding it, account, yeah. Yeah, if there's a ledger of like, you did this or I did this, that's the blaming thing, Right. right. And so we want to avoid the the blaming. And Mallory, you've got something, and your husband is, is trailing behind you by a couple months. And so I, I, I trust that your experience is a little bit different from theirs. You, you're going to be more slowly acclimated to, to being here right now. Most definitely. I get the advantage of getting to experience what is appropriate for me, but not necessarily my husband. I love small spaces. He does not. So right now he's in Illinois with our dog. She's a German shepherd of Kita and she requires a lot more space. Mm. I am here with my cat so I can be in a 300 ish square foot guest house in somebody's backyard. And that is perfect for us. That's right. But he would be utterly miserable if he was joining me in that state. He won't be when he gets here. We will have more adequate space, but it is nice to have that freedom to get to explore um, what is appropriate for me, what I am comfortable with, and kind of realizing like, oh, that I can push myself much further than I've ever been able to. Mm. That, that's fascinating. That I, I like the uh, this understanding that you know, sometimes it's not just about the size of the space, but what the space does for you as well. Because I, you know, Kanye West did this event recently. You know, he's done. He has this. He's threatened to put out an album twice so far this year, <laughs> and um, he did these streaming events in Atlanta. Like he saw a giant stadium full of people just to 
listen to the album with him. Oh, yeah. So the album's called Donda. Anyway, the second one, he did this whole monastic performance. And I identify with this so much. So he's in the middle of the stadium on this platform, and all he has is like a, a tiny little bed about the size of this table. What's this table? 60 by 48, I think. Mm. And... And so it's like just like a little, you know, like a Zen mat, basically. Okay. He has a few folded shirts next to him, and he had a couple other accoutrements, but not, it was very sparse. It was monastic, right? Okay. And I identify with that, but I identify with it more because I also appreciate really wide open spaces. Mm. I think museums are really beautiful. Have you all been to the Broad yet? If you get a chance, go to the Broad. In fact, maybe we'll take a, a field trip together. Yeah. Um, it's one of my favorite museums. You walk in there, and... There's so much space, but there's not a whole lot of art. And it's they're intentionally using the space to curate the art mm. in a way that my life is that way. I could live in 100 square feet without a problem. It would feel a bit claustrophobic to me. And so the challenge for me is how do I fit 100 square feet worth of stuff into 900 square feet or whatever it is, right? What's Whatever is appropriate to me. So I feel like I have the space... I don't want to be wasteful with the space either. It's not like, well, okay, let's have a 4,000 square foot home or something. Mm -hmm. But I also want to feel comfortable in that space. I want it to feel welcoming and like home. And what's welcoming to me might be a little bit different. And when I saw Danny's part, I'm like, that's actually, if I was living by myself or with just one other person, that was probably the the ideal size space for me. Mm. Um, As long as we have adequate storage for certain things. But I don't need much. But it's also thinking the other people in the space might need more than me. My daughter and my wife both have more things than me. They're not wrong for that, and I'm not wrong for owning fewer items either. It's partially our preferences. And so making peace with the fact that we're all going to have different preferences in this space and respecting those preferences has been key, but also coming to an agreement we're not going to bring a bunch of stuff in to this place haphazardly whatever we bring in even though you would prefer to have more things than me we're still going to bring those things in intentionally we're going to ask these questions because if we don't we're going to end up with a bunch of junk we never planned on having in the first place yeah let's move over to some surprise questions you can say hi to danny and uh, alabama and emma on Instagram. We just posted a picture with uh, the three of them. If you're watching the video version of this on Patreon, I think you just got to see all of them on video as well. But you can say hi to them on Instagram. We'll put a link to their Instagram accounts in the show notes. Looks like we got some surprise questions here, Ryan. Before we get to that one quick programming note, just a reminder, thanks to Emma, we are now, every episode has a corresponding maximal minimal episode. Oh, wow. Yeah, so it does work. That's why she's here this week. We didn't have to... Dude. Ship her back in a shipping container to Canada. <laughs> I don't know if I could have got that done in a week. Good work. That's awesome. <laughs> and so if you uh, go search, you just go to patreon.com slash the minimalists. And you want to find, say, the corresponding episode for episode 272, which is called Hidden Clutter. You would just go type in the word episode, episode space 272 in the search bar. That's all you have to type. And it will show you the corresponding episode for 272. Pretty simple. If you have questions about it, though, email Emma. <laughs> Emma at theminimalists.com. She'll, uh, she'll point you in the right direction. All right. We have some surprise questions here that Podcast Sean put together for us. Looks like we got something from Jamie. All right. What is the root cause of this 
declutter slash reclutter cycle? Oh, I love this question. Mm. So what is the root cause? This is so much more important than asking questions about how do I declutter? Because if we don't know, in fact, what did we say in our most recent film? Mm. If you don't understand why you're decluttering, your closet will be recluttered in the not too distant future. Mm -hmm. It's the reason that Ryan and I don't make a video about the 67 ways to declutter your closet. Yeah. Because if we did, you'd declutter your closet. You'd fold all your shirts the right way or whatever. Yeah. And you'd feel great for a week or a month. And then all of a sudden, you turn around a year from now, and it'd be worse than what it was before with a whole bunch of new items and an empty bank account and maxed out credit cards. Mm -hmm. In fact, it's called the Diderot effect. We replace one thing, and now all of a sudden, all my other things are inadequate. <laughs> Right? You're like, oh, I, I buy this, you know, I'm wearing this tie right here. And mm. oh, no, now all my other ties are garbage. I need to replace all the other ties, mm. right? Well, thankfully, I don't have a bunch of ties to replace. But we can start thinking that way about our shirts or our furniture or anything else in our house. And so what is the root cause of the reclutter cycle? Man, the root cause is the emptiness that we think we need to fill. Yeah. It starts with the space. Sure. You look around. If the space is empty and, oh, I need to fill this. How come you never feel that way, though? We were just talking to Danny about his small apartment. But how come you never feel that way when you walk into a cavernous museum? Hmm. Where's all the stuff? You don't feel that way. You feel, yeah. wow, this is beautiful. Yeah. Well, why is it beautiful? Because everything in there was done intentionally. The architecture is part of the art. The floors are part of the art. Mm. The space aids the art. Isn't that a beautiful metaphor for our lives? Mm. Can't our spaces sort of be like art for our own lifestyle? Mm. Can it aid the functionality? So we wake up in the morning with peace. We go to bed at night with peace. One of the things that Bex and I do every night after we put Ella to bed is I got this from our friend Drew Capener. Uh, He's uh, lead singer of a band called Parlor Hawk, and he did all the music for our, he and Nate did all the music for our last two films. And every night they set the stage because their kids go crazy and they, they wreck things and there's Legos on the floor or whatever. And they, they help, help them clean up the stuff. But then at the end, there's a few things that still just need to be adjusted. And that five minutes, not even five minutes, at the end of the night, it gives me this calm. And in the morning, that calm is there because I don't wake up to a little bit of extra clutter that I need to deal with. Mm. And so what is the root cause of the reclutter or the declutter-reclutter cycle? We declutter because why? Well, we think it's going to make us happy. Right. So, so maybe the, the first step is we bought a bunch of stuff because we thought it would make us happy. Mm -hmm. We, oh, that didn't work. Let's buy more stuff. Mm. That didn't work. Let's buy more stuff. Mm. That didn't work. Eventually, okay, I've run out of money. I've run out of time. I've run out of mental capacity, emotional capacity to deal with this. And so guess what? The stuff didn't make me happy. I know what will make me happy. What will make me happy, Ryan? Getting rid of the stuff. Minimalism will make me happy. Yes. Right. Decluttering. Mm-hmm. Wrong. You know, it, it's, that's a type of pleasure chase. Mm -hmm. We just talked about the 25 boundaries, the things to avoid to have a recluttered life. And one of those things is the pleasure seeking. 
We pleasure seek through stuff. It doesn't make us happy. Oh, if I get rid of all the stuff, maybe it'll make me happy. No, it will make you feel a bit lighter, a bit freer, and you may make room for finding something more meaningful to do with your time, with your space, with your other resources. Mm -hmm. But now that didn't make me happy. Crap. What's going to make me happy? I guess buying more stuff. I didn't have the right stuff. I didn't buy the right stuff for the first time. Yeah. That's the problem. I had the <laughs> wrong things. I got rid of the wrong things to make room for the better consumer purchases. I think the problem, like one of the problems is we have this need for <clears throat> like the one or the perfectly balanced, you know, approach towards things. And I think we do need to be appropriately balanced with things. There's no doubt about that. But the problem is that there's no perfect balance. I mean, maybe on a piece of paper, but in reality, it's really hard to find that perfect balance. So for someone who's going through this cycle of uh, declutter, 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 they are, it is a pleasure seeking and it is a chase in a way because as soon as they have the, the perfect amount of stuff, then, then they can be happy and then they can move on to something else. Right. But that perfection will never get there. Right. I mean, you can have the appropriate amount of things. Yes. Um, but, but that's going to change too. Absolutely. And so as you let go, what are you doing? You're asking questions. Does this serve a purpose? Does this bring me joy? What role does this thing play in my life? Mm. And if that role is, that just kind of gets in the way. Well, that then it makes sense to let it go but not to bring in new things that are simply going to get in the way. Mm. And if something starts getting in the way, even if it added value a month ago, it doesn't mean it's going to add value today or tomorrow. I have to be willing to let it go. Yeah. We have a question here from Jared. If you have a monotonous job that requires you to sit at a computer all day, what practices can you adopt to avoid the distraction of impulsively buying items that will reclutter your space. So Jared's at, he's at his computer all day. He's asking, how can I not do so much online shopping? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, mm. how, how can I um, avoid pacifying myself through consumerism? Mm. Man, it's rough because we've removed all the friction. It's so easy. It's right there on your terminal. That what you're staring at, all I have to do is open a new tab. Yeah, I go right to whatever store I want, whether it's Amazon and then it's one-click purchase, or I want to buy the book from Barnes & Noble, or I want to get some paper towels from Walmart.com. Those things, nothing wrong with those things, but then all of a sudden, does it create the consumption spiral? Mm. I'm incomplete, so these things will complete me. Mm -hmm. And so there's some rules that you and I have set up in our own lives. Yeah, I think of a few here. One is the wait for it rule. It's yeah. designed specifically for Jared's question. Mm -hmm. And so it's also known as the 30-30 rule. Anytime something costs more than $30, I wait 30 hours to buy it. So it's basically, I'm going to wait at least a day to buy the thing. Yeah. What does that do? It adds a little bit of friction mm -hmm. so that I can have some traction in being more intentional with my purchases. Yeah. If it's more than 100 bucks, I try to wait 30 days. Now, that doesn't always work, but that is a boundary that I've set up that allows me to step back and ask an important question about what role is this thing going to play in my life? Yeah. Well, I mean, when, when we do anything impulsive that we wish we wouldn't have, I mean, you've got to find a way to 
change your state when you get that impulse. So that's why these boundaries uh, work for you. And they could certainly work for Jared too. Yeah. Because what you're doing is you're taking that impulse and you're like, okay, like I see you, but I'm just going to hold off on this, on this action. And then you can feel good about it when you, well, I don't know if you can feel good about it, but you know, you feel better about it than just impulsively doing something. I was thinking too, um, man, like Jared could, uh, uh, he could block the sites. Like if that, you know, does he have to go to amazon.com for work? Yes. Um, what are ways to add, introduce new friction? Yeah, that's that's a great question. Yes. And so may, maybe what we do here when we're talking about friction mm-hmm. is, okay, uh, so I've had one listener who wrote into us and talked about, hey, I just got rid of Amazon Prime because I found for me paying for shipping, shipping while I hate paying for shipping, Ooh. it allowed me to, I was, I was spending way too much, I'm actually spending way less money on Amazon now because I added some additional friction. Here's what someone else did. I make sure I log out of my account every single time, and I have one of those really complicated passwords, so I can't have it memorized. I have to go get the password. I don't keep it saved. So I have to plug it into the account every single time. It adds a little bit of friction, so I'm not constantly logged in. And if you're making it a little inconvenient, if you really need the thing, you're still, okay, yeah, it's inconvenient, so what? I hate I have to go through this. But you're still going to get the thing that if you absolutely need it, right? Mm-hmm. But if you don't need it, you're like, you know what? This gave me enough pause to realize, oh, when I wait for it, maybe I don't actually need it at all. Dude, we got some really smart listeners. Yes, indeed. So, Jared, I would also check out our 16 rules for living with less, theminimalists.com slash rulebook. You can download that ebook for free, and you can pick up some additional boundaries that might help you with... Uh, well, with the consumerism and with the impulse in general. We have a question here from Bianca. How do we ensure we are using our closets in our homes for their intended purpose rather than as a mini storage unit? Isn't every closet kind of a mini storage unit? (laughs) Yeah, and maybe if I reverse the question here, Mm. how can our storage units be useful, Mm. right? Well, they're useful if we actually need them. I'll give you an example. We are here in this relatively small studio space. I say relatively small because I think this room is maybe six, 700 square feet total. Yeah. And I'd like to have even more room than this, but it was what was available at the time. We have a, what we call a writer's room downstairs, which at the moment is basically our storage closet. Right. It's eventually going to be a writer's room. This table is going to go down there. We've got a beautiful new podcasting desk coming in here and we're going to do some things with that room and so we're going to need some additional on-site or off-site storage for what we call deep storage for things that we don't use on a daily basis but things we will still use occasionally i'll give you a few examples these beautiful lights up here which are really expensive Mm -hmm. they have storage cases with them well we don't take these lights down ever right but there will be times where we might they they come off and, and we might need to use them somewhere else right and so there's a case for them now if we're never going to use those cases, then I'm going to get rid of them. Right. There are a few other things. We've had stools and some bistro tables for different things that we filmed. And so I'm going to apply some rules to those, and we can keep those in storage. But as long as the rules that we've set up for them apply. Yeah. But if it's a seasonality rule and we're like, you know what? We thought we were going to use this bistro table again. We're not going to use it. Let's go ahead and sell it because... When I tried to buy those bistro tables, they were impossible to buy. Mm. It was really difficult because they were out of stock everywhere. I don't know what's going on. Yeah. But 
by me reselling it, someone's actually going to get value from the table if we're not using it, especially if there's a shortage on an item like this. Mm. People would really enjoy having that. And so, you're, yes, Ryan is absolutely right. Your closet is a storage locker for stuff. Yeah. And so the, the, the closet isn't the problem. The stuff isn't even the problem. It's we've acquired a bunch of things that we feel compelled to store even though we don't use them. Yeah. Yeah, I would just ask myself, like, how can that closet be best used? I mean, when I was in high school, I had a little greenhouse going in mine. <laughs> <laughs> Ryan's a botanist. Y'all didn't know this about him. <laughs> All right, I got a question here from Laska. How do I keep my interior design fresh and interesting without bringing in a bunch of new items? Hmm. This is something that I do from time to time. And uh, we got this tip from Bobby Burke when he was on our podcast uh, mm. from Queer Eye. Yeah. He, um, he was talking about how one of the things you might want to do if you want to just freshen up your space is you can swap out the artwork seasonally and move around your decorations so that they're just in a new place. So say you have a couple of vases on top of your credenza, right? What if you move the vases to the other side? We actually just did this this past weekend yeah. uh, because Bax accidentally broke a piece of artwork that I have. And um, so in order to where the artwork was, you know, that little bird that we had, mm-hmm. and she accidentally, she went in to hug me and she like knocked it over and it shattered. And anyway. Did anger arise within you? Uh, no, but like there, I, I saw this. No, not at all. And I mm-hmm. think it's because of the stuff we talked about earlier. Yeah. Like uh, a moment of like, Oh, yeah, it was, you know what? Inconvenience arose within me because I'm like, oh, do we have to replace that? Do we have to do something else? Uh, I guess one tip for Alaska is break your stuff occasionally and then (laughs) replace it with new, better clutter. (laughs) So Uh, I tell you what, what happened is we were like, okay, well, let's just rearrange the things we have up here. And mm -hmm. so you move a couple of vases here or there and we don't have a bunch of things to move. And so Mm -hmm. that makes it easy. But it, it freshens up the space. It's all of the same exact things. Mm. And one other thing that Bob, we talked to Bobby Burke about is you can also swap out, like if you have a couple different paintings, you yeah. can move the painting from this wall to this wall and, and just swap the two of them. Yeah. It freshens up the space. You can take pictures and have like seasonal pictures so that you move the ones here for the summer and then in the winter you move them, you move in different pictures, whatever. And it freshens up the space. Another thing that you can do relatively easily is if you have an accent wall, you can paint it a different color for the season. Oh, yeah. I do remember him mentioning that. It's funny. My mom growing up, like she would rearrange our furniture once a year. And it was just like her way to freshen it up. Yes. And it didn't require new purchases. No, no. And I think sometimes that's the Diderot effect. We we say, well, you know what? I guess I'll have to freshen up the space by buying a new couch. And you can do that. But then all of a sudden, now your coffee table is inadequate. Yeah. Or the TV stand is inadequate. Or the frames are now inadequate. Mm-hmm. But sometimes it just takes a little adjust. And you may find you move things all around. You're like, oh, don't like that as much. Move it back. It's okay. Yeah. And and by experimenting with that, a little bit of paint, uh, moving some objects around, yeah. you don't have to acquire anything new or very little things new, new things. But what you can do is you can create a newness mm. within your space. Unless you want to wallpaper that accent wall then you got to buy some wallpaper it's coming back man oh wallpaper's back baby now now, ryan you are the (laughs) wallpaper expert if anyone needs help wallpapering their home dude i don't know why i can wallpaper anything but when it comes to painting i'm the worst painter in the world man 
It's Why crazy. is that? I don't know. Hmm. You know, I just don't love painting. <laughs> I really did enjoy the challenge of like, because, you know, you get some crazy kitchen soffits and like bay windows and sh- that you got to like, you know, wallpaper. Right. And it was like a math puzzle to me. Yeah. You know? But not so much with paint. Not so much with painting. I don't know why. I just, yeah, just, uh, I was really bad. I told you how I got fired within like two hours of that painting job. Tell me about it. So, uh, it was, it was like right after high school, I went down, uh, to stay with my mom in Florida where she was living at the time. And I got this painting job and I, you know, I told him like, Hey, my dad has a painting and a wallpaper business. And you know, I've painted before and hang wallpaper and like, yeah, like he, we were, I was painting doors, and then by lunchtime, when everyone took a break, he's like, uh, hey, man, can you come out of here for a second? <laughs> I'm like, yeah. He's like, dude, those doors are not fully painted. And he, like, showed me where I just had skipped over some. I don't know if, like, I just, I don't know. Like, my eyes can't pick up on it for some reason. Because wow. I was really, like, I knew my weakness with painting, and I was going out of my way to, like, try and be very, very thorough. Yeah. And I still screwed it up. So that was really, like, my last paint job i mean i was like i'm you know what maybe this is just it just isn't for me well thank god we have other people to paint like yeah. she didn't paint the walls in here yeah. but she did hire the the person who painted the walls in fact i was trying to consider like are do ryan and i just come in and paint the walls and you're like no no hire a painter <laughs> yeah and i'm like i thought he didn't he did painting a wallpaper forever i remember this yeah. and you were like yeah if you want me to wallpaper the walls i guess we could do that right yeah. but uh yeah i can remember the guy we had come in here he was amazing and he he gave us a quote for he was the highest quote out of everyone we got quotes from. Mm. But you could tell like he knew what was going on. Mm. And I'm so glad we went with him because he also painted the ceiling. We asked him to paint the ceiling yeah. because the tie or the uh, the sound panels in here, we wanted them to match perfectly the the paint. And um, so that that took a lot of, of figuring out. But when because it wasn't as bright and it was funny because it was white in here before. It was a new coat of paint in here before. He just painted a different white. Which I literally can't tell the difference. But it's funny because like that's also why I'm not a painter. Right. <laughs> I came in here while he was painting one day. And I'm like, oh, the old walls were yellow. Oh, wow. They, I mean, they weren't. They were white. But they, they had this, compared to this, they had this yellow tinge mm. to it. And we still have to get more lighting in here so it doesn't look like it has a certain green or magenta tinge. But And, and we'll get there. But he, because he wanted to make sure that he did a good job, he, he did a third coat, no additional charge. He came in here on his day off and did a whole third coat on the entire room to make it look beautiful. Wow. And he, you could tell he really understood painting yeah. for sure. Yeah. So I don't know how that answers your question, Alaska, but uh, <laughs> don't hire Ryan to paint, I suppose. Is, That's exactly it. Is yeah. ultimately where we are. Yeah. Ryan, anything else we, we want to talk about here? There was one other question from Sarah. I thought maybe we could end on, on that one. Yeah. I thought this was one that was worth, uh, worth ending on. Let's do it. How do you suggest... I'm sorry. <clears throat> what do you suggest for those of us who struggle with anxiety and try to address it by recluttering? That is, I will be okay if I have the right blank. I am wholly aware that... It is my way of processing anxiety, but sometimes it's hard not to give in to the urge to buy, prep, nest my way out of anxiety. And yet, after that recluttering, the anxiety still comes back because I never dealt with the underlying fears. Well, the answer is kind of in her question at mm-hmm. the end there. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Yeah. So, we'll end this with some Anthony DeMello since, well, this is a spot-on answer here. This is from a section called it's your programming that 
causes the upset. Or, in this case, it's your programming that causes your anxiety. And so, he says, now let's work on this concretely. Somebody broke a promise, okay? You're upset. Or, in this case, you're upset for whatever reason, Sarah, that you, you're trying to buy your way out of, right? He said, I could bring in another individual in your place who is also faced with your same circumstances, but is not anxious. So think about this. Another person who declutters and doesn't feel that impulse to reclutter. What are they experiencing? If they've decluttered their space and they no longer feel that experience or they no longer feel the impulse Mm -hmm. to reclutter, well, they're feeling a completeness. Mm. They're feeling fulfilled. Mm. And so the question isn't, why am I getting anxious? Why am I wanting to buy more things? The question is, what is making me feel incomplete? Yeah. He goes on to say, how come you got upset? Now you were trained to think that it was a broken promise or your stuff or whatever, but that's not what it was. It was your programming. It was your training. You've been trained to be upset every time you're faced with this circumstance. You're planning a picnic on Sunday and the picnic gets rained out. Where do you think the upset is? Is it in the rain or is it in you? In the rain or your reaction to the rain? The upset feeling is not caused by the rain, but your reaction to it. So I'd say the same thing about the anxiety. Someone else would react differently. No anxiety. If you had not made your happiness depend on blank, you wouldn't react in this way, right? Mm. And I think that's... That, that's the answer to your question here. Your happiness is depending on perceived completion. Mm-hmm. And therefore, nothing is ever going to make you feel complete. Yeah. No, I, I, I love what, what she was just saying at the end about getting to the root of it, to the why. Like, what are the fears that are creating the anxiety why do those? Why are those considered fears? Like it's funny because when you were reading that Anthony DeMello thing, um, I, this might be like way off, but my reaction to you know the woman on the airplane or someone in traffic, I'm like, why is it so? Why do I feel so, so disrespected? Mm-hmm. And and I just had this flash of like, yes, it's because I do go out of my way to be considered for other people, but there is some like mom and dad stuff there with like not being taken care of mm-hmm. and when feeling like when I should have been taken care of. So now in my adult life, when I feel like someone's not looking out for me, like there's this like visceral reaction I have just because of, you know, my upbringing. You expect others to treat you the way that you treat them. Sure. And that expectation will always lead to discontent, misery, because we, they can't be met by everyone. Right. The way you treat everyone else By the way, these people don't even know you. They can't possibly treat you how you treat them. (laughs) Even if you ask them to, they don't know how you would treat them, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. And so, yes, you feel this sense of injustice. You feel this, you feel as though, well, I need them. I expect them to have the same standards as me. Mm. And how does this apply to Sarah's question? Well, let's go back to the root of it here. I will be okay if I have the right blank. Well, 
These are if-then statements, right? If this happens, then this. Mm-hmm. You can remove the if part, though. I will be okay. Mm-hmm. And that is it. Yeah. You will be okay. With or without the stuff, you will be okay. With or without decluttering, you will be okay. With or without a relationship, you will be okay. Remember that relationship that you was just you were so madly in love with the person years ago for two weeks <laughs> and you couldn't possibly live without them? And now it's a distant memory. Mm. That's a person. That was someone you loved. And you were still able to get over that. You were okay. We're talking about the stuff. How many things have you gotten rid of that you've gotten over like that? Patrons, thank you so much. Yes. We really appreciate you. On behalf of Ryan Nicodemus and Podcast Sean and Jordan No More and Malabama and Danny Unknown and Emma the Immigrant. Love people and use things. We'll see you next time. Thank you so much, patrons. Oh, yeah, and Jess. Oh, yeah, Jess. Oh, wait, now we're going to re-record the whole episode. (laughs) We love you, Jess, (laughs) and we love you, patrons. Later. The Minimalists.